Welcome to the latest episode of Platform Podcast. Today's guest is Kaya Tursky. Most people know Kaya as the incredibly successful X Games champion. She won eight X Games gold medals in Slopestyle, and three of those she won in three consecutive years. She is one of the most dominant X Games, winter X Games athletes of all time. She was unbelievable. She is also the first woman to land a Switch 1080 in competition and I'm pretty sure that record went unmatched for several years. But despite her amazing freestyle ski career, that is not what I want to talk about. Well, it is what I want to talk about as well. But there's other stuff I want to talk about too. I also want to talk about her rollerblading past. She was a incredibly gifted rollerblader before she turned her attention to skiing. She had sections in the Destructure team video, who she was also sponsored by, which just featured loads of really technical handrail skating. Like some might say the most technical handrail skating ever done by a female. On top of that, she also had a section in Brandon Negretti's video, Road to Nowhere, which came out around 2005, I think it was. And I think that was Brandon's second last video before he passed away. I think his last video was called Regardless. I don't think he had any other ones. And yeah, I would just love to know how she got involved in that. Again, the section is wild. It starts off with her taking so many hard slams, just getting absolutely pitched down sets of stairs, like splitting kinked handrails. Then once it gets into it, she's doing terrifying drop rails. She's skating some of California's most famous spots and just lacing the hell out of it. She does a fast slide down a steep, very steep stair rail. In fact, I'm pretty sure she's the only woman I ever remember seeing fast slide a street handrail. I might be wrong on that, but I don't remember ever seeing another woman do it. But yeah, Kaya is just an all-round, unbelievably good athlete. She was amazing on skis. She was amazing on skates. Her career got cut short just because she had terrible knee injuries. She blew out her knee a bunch of times and had to have reconstructive surgery a couple of times. She also had chronic headaches as a result of repeated falls and just, you know, the trauma that you put your body through by doing such kind of extreme activities at such a high level. So she had to retire around 2017. So I'm also keen to know what she's getting up to now. Um, yeah, just basically what she's doing with her life after such incredible highs of being dominant in a sport for a considerable amount of years. I've tried to arrange this for ages. Kaya's been kind of hard to pin down because they just had the Winter X Games and, oh God, I want to say it was Aspen. I'm terrible at remembering stuff like that. But she was a correspondent there. She was getting involved doing commentary. Obviously, they wanted to hear from her because she was such a huge athlete in that sport. So, yeah, great to finally track her down. Can't wait to speak to her. Before that, I just want to give a huge shout out to my Patreon supporters. They are listed on the screen now. If you want to join the Patreon, you can do so for as little as £3 a month. We also have these t-shirts available. I have these t-shirts available, which you can get off the website. It's £5 international postage. It's free if you're in the UK. Now that I'm done with my spiel, cue the music. Hello. Oh, there we go. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How you doing? 
Good, good, good. I'm guessing the weather in Canada is almost as disgusting as it is in Scotland right now. Yeah, I don't know. How is it in Scotland right it's, now? Is it, is it raining? I mean, is that it's what I hear? It's always raining. Um, it's it's not raining today. It's but it is like minus. Hey, just one second. I have something else buzzing in my ear, and I don't know what's going on. Oh, there we go. Better. Oh, that's what I was hearing. Okay. Um. So here, actually, we have it's a beautiful day. Um. But we've had a lot of snow, so it's a white world out here. Okay. Um. So it depends what uh what what kind of weather you like. I was I was about to say yeah yeah that'll suit you fine because I I regularly talk to um I mean I don't know if you know the guys uh, Joey and Todd that do mushroom bleeding. Uh no, I don't think so. They're Maybe. they're from oh god they're from like quite a kind of they're from Kamloops which is I guess okay. kind of yeah. quite out of the way but yeah they're basically like it's it's not it's not street skating season yet because yeah they just keep getting. Yeah, pounded on. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, here too. Um, it's it's a long winter here in Montreal. So uh, I'm, I, I was kind of wondering if I was ever going to be able to track you down. I feel like you're quite a you're quite a busy woman. <laughs> you know what? I'm sorry. I'm just uh, it's uh, social media messaging is not my forte, and I apologize. I'm really glad uh, that we finally did link up. Um, it's it's really a pleasure. So thank you for continuing to follow up until uh, until we lock this down because that's Bye. that's on me. That was my my bad, but I am very happy to be here. So thank you. I was like, maybe she just doesn't want to do this. No, like I'm just pestering her. But yeah, <laughs> no, no, pestering appreciated. I'm I'm just it's it's my it's my weakness, if you will. Okay, um, so you were. I saw that you were doing like correspondent work at the the Winter X Games. Were you actually there, or were you just doing it remotely? Um, so actually, wasn't the X Games? I was. Uh, I've been doing some like uh, judging and uh, not judging. Sorry, commentating. Yeah. Um, like uh, color color analysis, which is like you know, like they take the athlete, the the expert in the field, and. Um, and I just kind of talk about the tricks, the uh, the mentality, all that stuff. And um, yeah, it's something I just started this year and kind of developing, uh, I guess, a relationship with the CBC, which is our uh, like Canadian Broadcast Corporation. So it's like our national network here in Canada. Um, yeah, I've been kind of uh, I've been a bit removed from the ski scene for for a few years now. So it's it's nice to jump back in and and get back uh, in some form or another. I was yeah I was I was like there's no way they've not asked you before now <laughs> to do that like they they like you must have got offers to do that in the past Um yeah not specifically that but like other stuff like ju judging um they've come they've they've contacted me quite often and and I'd love to be a judge on the circuit I think that'd be really cool um but just to be completely honest I had a really really rough few years post my ski retirement um just from post-concussive symptoms um, and still kind of dealing with that but finally emerging I feel in this last year which is how which is why I've, I reached out and kind of getting back into the scene both rollerblading and skiing but it's a uh, it's been a, a journey for me and um, it's uh, I think I'm finally kind of on the up and up I think okay it's great yeah yeah I saw right so right you're gonna have to explain this to me because the, I'm, I can't remember when I saw this video but the last time I saw you you were in California and you were in roller you were wearing sebas and was it a seba video maybe and you're just skating yeah. down the the beachfront 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the boardwalk. Yep. So, um, yeah, I was in contact with the brand and they sent me some rollerblades. Uh, I love them. So they ended up, they had uh, some of the riders come out to LA and I was living there. So in Santa Monica, um, because, you know, a lot of people are like, why skiers, you know, in California, but in the like kind of inland in California, close to the Nevada border, there's like great skiing, um, huge mountain range. So that's where I was training often in Mammoth Lakes. I had my home in Santa Monica. So yeah, um, Seba hit me up. They're like, hey, we have some team riders going to be in town. Like, do you want to come shred with us? You know, um, and at that time I was, I was not, yeah, I was just rolling around. Like I wasn't able to do much. So um, yeah, I cruised with them and it was a great time. Uh, I love the rollerblades. I'm still shredding on my Sebas. I've, I've so. seen footage. Yeah, I saw footage not, not too long ago. You, you were skating, was it a mini ramp? Yep, that's right. Um, literally the first time I've rollerbladed in many, many years, probably maybe even since that Seba video. I don't know. It's, 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 I mean, I almost want to say it's shameful, but it's, it's been for a good reason. Like I haven't in 217, I retired and I haven't been able to do sports since. Yeah. Um, so that was actually a huge deal for me to be rollerblading. Um, I can't really handle any impact, but I can like, I mean, that was the one time I haven't gone back since because I have my health is still up and down, but, um, but yeah, a huge, huge step for me to be in the mini ramp. Um, like it's rollerblading is, has always been my first love and continues to be. And, um, it was just like, it filled my heart with everything to be back in the mini ramp. So I hope to be doing that more this spring. Um, and hopefully more little mini videos on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Let's talk about the rollerblading stuff first, because obviously that's that was like my introduction to seeing you. And then you obviously stopped skating because skiing took over. And then that became just a kind of runaway story. And obviously you're not going to have time to commit to both. So one has to take precedent over the other. Um, so like the first thing I saw you in was I can't remember like I can't remember which came first. Was it Road to Nowhere that came first or the Destructure video? Road to Nowhere came Road first. Road to Nowhere yeah. first. Right. That is incredibly random because Brandon, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're the first woman that Brandon Negretti ever even featured in a video. And then you had a massive section. Yeah, I, I believe I was. And it was, um, I believe I was the first woman. And um, it was a huge honor. I mean, a huge surprise, firstly, to, I think it was the time of AOL, you know, AIM, chat, you know the uh, yeah. hello um and he popped up and and I was like Brandon Negretti like of course like I, I knew of him because I I love the films his films and um yeah he you know he said I love your skating I'd love for you to come out to Cali and film a section so it's like holy moly I think I was like 13 when he reached out to me and 14 I believe when I went out there to, to film my segment um so yeah like huge huge surprise such an honor um, and yeah, some, some of the best memories of my life for sure out there, you know, I, it's like the dream to go out to California, right. To shred, to, to skate all those famous spots. So it was, um, it was a really wonderful time in my life. Right. I have a seven-year-old daughter. So let's just put this into context. You're like 13 years old and some guy in America is messaging you going, you do I come out and stay at my house? 
what did your parents say to all of this? It's crazy, isn't it? Like I actually, I, I, I think of that often sometimes, you know, like I, it comes up and I'm like, how did like, you know, I flew out to Kelly to do ASA world championships. I was like 14 or 15, like just really young, really young. And of course, back then I was like, I'm so big and strong. I'm an adult, but like, of course you're just a baby still. Um, I think my parents, I don't know, like they weren't, my parents loved me and really cared for me, you know, so it wasn't a reckless, they weren't reckless. I think they just really, they trusted me. Um, they trusted, I know that they were in touch with Brandon a bit, you know, like just to kind of, they knew like to just chat with him, get, get a sense of like what the scenario was going to look like. I also ended up staying, you know, he was living with his mom at the time. So I, I lived with his family basically. Um, so that felt pretty safe. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, looking back, like I, I, maybe I'm, I'm lucky that nothing crazy ever happened to me. Um, but, but yeah, I was kind of set free uh, and able to fly very young in my life. And, um, and yeah, it's only now, like, you know, with all these movements, so much coming out and in, in the media, the me too, all this stuff where I'm just like, wow, like, now we're i don't know i think we always knew but now it's just so much so much has been uncovered so looking back it's crazy but i uh i'm lucky also to have had that freedom yeah definitely had, had you ever been to california before that i don't think so so i'm trying to remember if asa world champs was first or that or going out to film my segment which was also kind of combined with we did this daily bread um yeah daily bread women's tour and so that was i think the first week was with the girls there was like four five or six of us and then the second week was like with brandon or or the other way around so um so that was one trip and then asa world chance is another trip i know they were like a year apart i don't know which came first but like 14 13 14 15 um okay. around then and uh yeah, so it was my first or second trip and definitely the dream. And I went on to move to California, you know, it like still like lived in my heart, that Cali love. That's yeah, that's pretty awesome. So you you must have been there at Staples Center when um Fallon Heffernan was like the first woman to Oh, was she the first? Oh, it, it was between her and Shannon Rogers. I don't know uh who was first, but Fallon was always like off her rocker nuts you know just like doing the craziest shit am i allowed to swear on this podcast yes okay. <laughs> um yeah just doing the craziest shit fallon like had no no fear you know and so yeah i was there and um that's stable i mean we all know like that thing is like head high you know like it's no yeah. joke and she's tiny um, she is she's tiny I've, yeah I've, she's tiny. I've met fallon before she comes up to like yeah. my chest totally totally she's a small girl and and not only like short but like small you know and yeah just 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 no fear just made out of steel so that was pretty cool to witness seeing so. seeing the stuff that you've done over the years though i'm kind of surprised you didn't throw yourself at it because some of the stuff in your sections especially in the destructure video there are like serious drop rails in there there are drop rails that i'm like i wouldn't go near that same i mean looking back i'm like jesus christ what was i thinking like thank god i'm okay um yeah i don't know i think maybe if it had been on the left side because it's only the right side right that you can grind 
I, I don't know if I've ever seen the left side being I'm hit. Sure, I'm sure you can do both. You yeah. think? Anyway, Although I guess I guess if everyone if everyone's only here. hitting one side, you're probably like, well, yeah, and just not really thinking about it. I guess no. Look, in no way am I claiming like, oh, if it had been on left, I would have done it for sure. But I just know for sure doing it on the right, like my soul. I don't know. For me, like a back royale would have been maybe maybe possible, but that's my other side and didn't happen but yeah some crazy drop rails i think i really like drop rails because a lot of them are steep i like steep things um i've, I've noticed i never that. was yeah. a i didn't i wasn't a really high jumper so that's probably why i stayed away from that ledge but um and so like you know really steep things you can just like kind of cruise up to and you don't have to jump too too high you just go for it you know yeah but they're also scary because they're steep <laughs> i know i know it's something like i don't know there's something like really psychologically like interesting about just like not having the option to fall like you cannot fall there's no way and so it's like it's incredible how you just like it's life or death almost and you're like there's no possible way i can i can end up on that side and you just don't and it's like i don't know the human psyche is fascinating i think I'm so fascinated by sports psychology and I think sport, you know, is, is, is heavily dictated by your psyche, your mind. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you can say that with, with skating, something like that. It's not like skating a ledge where you could be there for like an hour trying to get a trick. It's either you're making it or you're getting hurt. So you, like you need to decide which, which, which one that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so wait a minute, you just said, did you just say you filmed that entire section in Road to Nowhere in a week? Two weeks. So I think the first, like that week with the girls and then another week with Brandon. And yeah, two weeks. That's that is a very productive fortnight. Like most people don't <laughs> don't crank out a full street section in two weeks. That's true. I, I never even really thought about it that way. But yeah, I guess so. So like <laughs> during that era, there was obviously yeah young guys they're partying and stuff like that and like like they were quite a rowdy bunch what was it like hanging about with it because it looked like sean santa maria was there and like there was a bunch like a bunch of like basically the people that kind of hung about with brandon at that time what was it like hanging about with all those guys because they seem like they want to have a good time all the time yeah you know it's funny like they looking back like for sure, people were partying, drinking a lot, you know, probably smoking. I just, I think I'd always been around that. Not necessarily like hanging out with like, or like always at parties and whatnot, but that's kind of the crowd you're around, you know, and in, in that rollerblade world. Um, but I must say like a little side note, I do think like roller, like being involved in a sport, like roller, or any sport at a young age, that like, kind of keeps you out of trouble. So I don't want to say like, I was just around like a bunch of, you know, drunkards and smokers. Like, I think rollerblading kept me out of trouble, you know, but I think that's like in, in the scene and the freestyle scene, like that's, that's a thing partying and, and hard partying is a thing. And so I don't think it shocked me, you know, I don't remember being like, feeling out of my element. I wasn't taking place, you know, in that I, I'm sure I'd had drinks by then, um, but wasn't, uh, 
I don't recommend that to the listeners at a young age. And number two, um, I just, I was so focused on what I was doing, like just extremely motivated to film a, you know, a proper segment. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't remember. Like the guys were really, really kind to me. I remember like, you know, if I needed to get boosted over a fence or whatever, like they were like the first to come and help me really supportive. If I needed a hand to like test a rail or anything, like just like everybody was like, I don't know, treated me, I think like their little sister or something. And um, yeah, I felt very safe. I didn't feel out of my element at all. I would also imagine because you're younger as well and a woman, they would feel quite protective over you as well and be like, oh, like kind of like wanting to make sure you're okay or like looked after. Yeah. Like you said, like feel comfortable. Yeah, I think so. Like I, again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't remember feeling threatened at all. I felt very safe, very cared for, you know, and it was just me and a bunch of dudes, you know, but I was like, it just felt normal to me. And I felt, yeah, I think Brandon also like, yeah, he like took me under his wing, you know, and, and made sure everything was, was right. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great time. Well, you say it was a great time, but the first minute of that, that section is oh, horrendous. It is, it is so brutal. You take the worst slams. You get pitched down so many sets of stairs. It's unreal. You split a kink rail. I've split countless rails. I know how much it hurts as a guy. I can only imagine how much it hurts as a woman. That that first minute, I was like, she is either really dumb or really tough because she is taking such a beating. <laughs> yeah, maybe both, probably <laughs> both. Um, yeah, you know what? That segment. I mean, I don't know that it haunts me. It haunts me internally. I don't like. I've never actually been told like it was too out of line or anything. But I just. I don't know. My temper back in the day was like too, too much. Like looking back, I'm like, come on. Like, I, I don't, I think it's cool. It shows like that. Like, yeah, I took a ton of bails and then like got back up and like laced the trick. Um, but I want people to know I'm not a crazy, angry, psycho person. <laughs> I just want to clarify. Um, but yeah, some tough balls. And you know, sometimes like when you're trying to trick over and over and like, you know, internally, like you've got it, like you get to a point, like your boiling point, snapping point. Um, but I also want people to know I have worked on my temper and I'm not an angry person. <laughs> oh, I mean, like, like everyone, it, when you start getting yeah beaten up or if you just start messing stuff that you know you're capable of, like everyone reaches a point where they're like, nope, I've had enough. I'm going to lose my temper. Yeah. That, like that's, I don't care how serene or calm you are or how much yoga or whatever you've practiced. You, everyone, everyone has a point. And once you Thank breach you that, that yes. it's that's yeah, there's, there's no, there's no overcoming it. Um, But then the section itself was, it was what, like that's, I watched it again, like after we'd been in touch, and I was like, that could be some of the most technical female handrail skating still to this day. Like, I, like it still stacks up. You skate a lot of kink rails, there's like triple switch ups going on. You fast slide a rail, and I was like, I can't think of another, I can't think of another section by a woman that has a street fast slide. Well, thank you. That's, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's looking back. I mean, I just like, I had such a blast, like I was living my dream, you know? And so like, 
I was just like, I was so ready to just skate hard and like try anything and everything I felt I was capable of and possibly not capable of, you know, I was really pushing my limits um, filming that segment. And yeah, like a lot of those tricks were kind of first ever for me too, like an alley fish brain, like never done on a rail and never since then actually, again, like alley top horn, like all those were, some of those were, were new tricks for me. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I mean, I appreciate like, it's, it's an honor that I think that, that some people, you know, still to this day tell me like, it's, it's a really solid segment. And, um, so yeah, like it's, that's, that's really cool. Like, I, I love that. I love that. I have this, like, you know, a little bit of history in rollerblading, you know, having that segment filmed and, um, you know, and also like, part of Brandon's legacy too, you know, like that's an honor and I I hope I made him proud and I, yeah, I'm just glad I was part of it all. Did, did you have like much contact with him after the, after the video had finished? Cause obviously like, Oh God, I can't remember when he passed away. It was like uh, 2013, maybe. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was quite a few years later. Yeah, quite a few years later, I think we kept in touch for, you know, two or three years afterwards, but then um, then kind of faded like here and there saying, hello, how are you? Um, but I never saw him again. Um, so, yeah, those memories, but those memories, you know, they live, they live inside of me and I have, you know, still a great, like I can see him clearly, I can experience those memories clearly. And I think that's like a great gift, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that is just one of the main things. Just like remembering people as as you enjoyed their company, not yeah, yeah not doing other things. And um, what so like as being that young, I, I don't know like how deep you were into rollerblading then, or if you were like a little skate rat, or like had favorite skaters and stuff like that. Like you were in California, you were obviously like meeting pro skaters all the time. There's a scene with you at a house party with Mike Johnson, like one of the most iconic skaters of all time were there any people you met that you were like oh my god that's so and so like i love that person that's like my favorite that's one of my favorite skaters oh my god i've just met i've just met that person for sure for sure many many of them it's funny i was just telling you how i didn't party on that trip and then like you bring up the mike murder <laughs> johnson scene which is like of course um that was the one <laughs> and got in some trouble actually i uh i think i like i don't know you know dan busto was a photographer at the time in the rollerblade scene he was ryan shooty's i think that's how you say his name shooty yeah um ryan's roommate and ryan was the photographer on our tour for daily bread anyway so we were partying at at ryan and dan's place and apparently i like ran on top of Busta's like convertible car on the dash. And I was like, no way, I had no recollection of it. And they're like, no, your footprints were on the car. <laughs> so I actually ran into Dan like 15 years later, literally he was shooting for Red Bull. And I was like, are you Dan Busta? And he's like, yeah, I'm like, oh my God, dude, like I have to apologize. I ran on top of your car and you were very, very upset about it. Anyway, back up. Yes, there were a lot of guys I met and female women I met. I mean, oh, no, first no, of all, no, being no, on no, tour. No, wait, wait a minute, you don't you don't get you don't get to side oh. that. What okay. did Dan What did Dan say when you reminded him? Because surely he laughed. He laughed. There's, and there's he no remembered. way he didn't know. 
Like if he's photographing for Red Bull, he knows like who you are. He knows that you yeah. ended up becoming a huge success in skiing. So he like he knew who you were. I I mean, he I don't know if he knew who I was through skiing, but he definitely I was like, it's Kaya. And he's like, he remembered me from rollerblading. And he remembered the incident because I brought it up and he laughed and he's like, yeah, I remember. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I mean, it's two decades late, but like, I'm sorry. Um, because yeah, apparently there was like irrefutable proof that I had done it. And, uh, looking at the videos, I guess I see that I was in a state where I may not have remembered that kind of scenario. So we laughed it off the grudge he was not holding on any longer, which is nice. It was a relief. I could apologize. Um, but yeah, uh, it was, a, I guess, a pretty fun party. Broke a window as well. Just really wreaked havoc on those guys. I'm so sorry. I'm not a rager. I promise. Really not. How, how did you <laughs> How did you break a window? I don't know. I like backed up or something. And then this whole window shattered. And that's, that's that when Murda was like, Kaya breaking glass with her ass, you know? And it's like, oh God, that stays right. with me forever now. I yeah. Wonder what so, that was. Um, I, th I thought he meant like, I thought he meant like a drinking glass. Like, no, a right. full window, a full window. <laughs> You had I may some or may night. not paid for that. Yeah, I had some night. Those guys, you know, I'm like this stupid young kid on tour, like who's like, by the way, so shy, like really didn't talk much on that tour because I'm like around like these, like my heroes, you know, these like legends. And then I get drunk and I'm just like, like, I don't know. I don't know. Let's not like that's, I guess, part of the legacy, but let's not focus too much on it. I mean, ev everyone does dumb stuff. It's yeah. Um, yeah. Right, so now, now I'll let you answer the question. Now we can answer the original question. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, like entering Brandon's world, well, first going on this tour, right, with like Fab De Silva, who is like, who, whose hero is she not? You know, like it's like, or who's, yeah, does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, she's everybody's right. hero. And um, yeah, like, I mean, the first half half of the tour was like, I was just starstruck. Like, oh my God, like, I'm literally like shredding with Fab and Silva. Like, this is insane, you know? Um, and of course, the other girls, like all very talented Fallon, Katie Ketchum, like really some strong talent. Um, so that was a huge honor. And um, yeah, like, I just remember meeting like, Mike Johnson, Frankie, like Jeff Stockwell, like uh, Chris Happy. Like actually when I was filming that second week with Brandon and just like living with him and, and filming, it was me and Chris Happy um, basically. Like he was like testing out spots with me and like helping me. Like it was just like, holy moly, like Chris Happy. Like, I mean, an idol and still to this day, like he's just like, I mean, he's legend, right? And and it was an honor. Like I, it was so cool to get to know him. Um, he was super helpful, really, really kind. And yeah, to this day, like we're, we're friends, you know? So it was, um, yeah, a crazy, crazy time. Like I can't really describe it just like starstruck, um, and in awe throughout the whole journey really. Um, and still looking at those guys, like they're like making this reemergence in the, in the scene and like, it's incredible talent, you know, and I think looking back on my whole career, like skiing and rollerblading, I've been so lucky to be around some like insane talent, some, some insane talent, legends.
Yeah, a bunch. Yeah, a bunch of those guys are still like Frankie still goes to events and still skates. It's yeah, and Jeff Stockwell still skates regularly, and obviously Chris is still going with like the Nitro circuits and stuff like that. Like those those people have stood the test of time at a very high level. So yeah, stood the test of time. Like seriously, like some of these guys making a comeback. It's like it's like they never even left. You know, it's crazy. Um. So I know you were sponsored by Destructure. Were you, because it, it was kind of a weird time. I feel like now is a better time for women for getting sponsored because people are like, you need female representation on teams. Whereas I feel like there was a very, at least a couple of decades where only the tiniest minority of women got on teams and actually even got anything like, what was it? There's been like, there was like three female pro skates in the space of two decades. It was like Tasha Hodgson, then um, Jenna Downing, and then it wasn't until much later on when Mary Munoz got one only recently. Like that's right, right. It's like really, really low. So, like, what were you writing for any other companies, or was it even a possibility? Or like, because you you obviously had the talent. Thanks. Yeah, I, I I was writing for Destructure, and I did in my rollerblade career ride for USD Skates, and then I switched over to Razors. Um, but otherwise, I think I yeah I had some some sponsors, but I'm kind of blanking right now. To be honest, <laughs> they must have not been. Um, yeah, I don't I don't want to botch the names right now. So, so let's just say I know I was riding for Razors um and USD, love those guys, both of them. Um Destructure was like a great support, um, local support. So they were really helpful in like getting me out there, helping me film, um, getting me involved, like getting me in contact with a lot of different companies. So it was never like major sponsorships. I wasn't getting, you know, I massive paychecks or anything which is totally fine um but just like yeah love love representing and uh yeah like kind of i guess lo still kind of low level sponsorships wasn't on any i don't think any like international teams or i don't really know i don't know how it was all broken down um, and kind of the way you just describe it like kind of ambiguous yeah yeah that's the way it was you know yeah there, there there seemed to be a lot of that yeah um so back home were you living in montreal then or was that were you living somewhere else at the time like when when you were growing up yeah i, I grew i was born and raised here so i am montreal um and that's that's where i spent the bulk of my rollerblade days is is montreal other than like my my trips to california and and other um asa events asa is like it used to be i don't think it exists anymore but it's like that was like world championships and different like park events um so yeah most of my rollerblading days were were done here uh we had a really dope skate park called taz yeah that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say were you were you the taz yeah taz, taz days okay. exactly so on my fridge actually i have a little my little my first membership i was 10 years old in 98 i joined uh, the Taz and like that was like a, such a gift you know like the best I mean maybe I'm biased and my memory is maybe like I don't know maybe I have I've I've like what's the word like I'm giving it too much credit but to me it's like still one of the best skate parks I've ever visited in my life like we were so blessed to have such a sick skate park with like foam pit and like 
all different sizes rails like you can really progress your skating you know and try different things and and also just like a really great rollerblade community you know um regulars that would show up at tasks throughout the weekend and we just like had such a great crew and so that was definitely like where i picked up the bulk of like my skills you know that would take me on to my rollerblade like street rollerblading and then onto my skiing like um that was such a gift to have the taz here and we still have taz to just to be clear but it's a different venue it's it's a bit of a different uh setup um but it's good and um yeah i forget what the question was so and um, yeah like yeah like back back home in montreal because yeah i was going to mention taz because taz obviously was home to people like jonathan bergeron jan fernet um nikki adams like those yep. those guys were all like associate did did you grow up like skating with any of them i imagine you, you guys must have crossed paths if you're all in the same city for sure for sure i knew john b pretty well and i knew nikki very well i'd say um i like matt donald was also a really really talented skater out of here and matt and nikki were kind of like a small crew um or like homies and then i was maybe on the peripheral of that i i traveled like we would go to skate spots a lot together and um yeah, kind of wild times like nikki is insane <laughs> yeah yes um but like nice guy really nice guy but just like wild you know crazy um john b2 actually and Fernet also okay <laughs> all of them um but yeah like i mean you know you progress when you're around like such strong talent you know so being at the skate park and and then watching like nikki and john and matt like just really i mean to this day their skating holds up you know so um so i'm sure that that was a big part of my progression was just being around skaters who were really really good um and and consistently at the park i was consistently around them so i i definitely progressed in big part because of that also you and nikki kind of share something in common and that you both transferred over into snow sports because he won oh, I'm terrible with years but like he won I'm sure he won X Games in like 2003 and then 2004 at the Winter X Games he got a bronze medal in oh god what's it snowblading or something skiboarding right? snow snow yeah snow, I'm sure the sport the they call skis. yeah they called it yeah they called it skiboarding but I would refer to them as yeah uh snowblades yeah and, yeah that's how but, I remember them but then the, so so he won gold at the X Games. Then basically they kicked X Games out of rollerblading, uh, rollerblading at the X Games, and I was like, "Well, that's bad luck if you're an amazing competition skater." And then he joins the Winter X Games, starts getting on the podium there, and then they drop that sport from the Winter X Games. He must have been thinking he was cursed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that's funny. Cursed or lucky? Like I remember when I, as I was growing up rollerblading, I was like, my goal was like to go to the X Games rollerblading, you know. And then the first year that I was pro on like asa pro on tour was the first year that they took x games out so it was like so devastating to me to have missed that window um but yeah nikki i mean it's so talented so incredibly able on anything you know any kind of um any kind of wheels or or device or whatever sporting equipment if you will um so not surprising that he was able to transfer that and i think like just from my own experience i know that my rollerblading really really helped as a base to transition me to skiing you know it's like 
course you're using skis versus rollerblades, but like, you know, air awareness is air awareness, you know, and balance is balance. And, uh, and, you know, understanding transitions, um, it's, 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 it's all relative, like it's universal, you know, so, or no, yeah, it's universal. And so you just kind of apply it. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's how Nikki was able to be so successful on, you know, ski blades, snow blades, whatever we call them. Um, but yeah, obviously I'm an incredibly talented athlete. So how did you make the transition from skating to then? Cause it seems like, it seemed like you picked up skiing and then very like within a relatively short space of time we're competing in it so yeah what... yeah it was crazy crazy actually how how quickly that evolved um it was a surprise to me um I, I i did like so i long story short i skied when i was very very little kind of weekend warrior style meaning like my parents would take me on the weekends you know i'd ski one or two days over the weekend you know but just skiing cruising then around like six so maybe three from like three to six or something like that I, you know the, the exact years i don't know but then i remember thinking like snowboarding is way cooler i want to snowboard so they got me on the snowboard did that for like two or three years but never was like a, in the park really like i would do little jumps here and there i always was gravitating towards that but wasn't didn't develop my you know freestyle skills on snow until much later so anyway around like 10 years old i joined the taz completely dropped snow sports and just like because i just fell in love like i was like as soon as i you know dropped into my first quarter pipe i was like this is this is it for me um and just basically spent the rest of my you know my free time for the next decade or so no wait less than a decade but rollerblading and so committed like and that was like like I mentioned, like really my first love, like I committed all my, all my time and my thinking, my effort into rollerblading. I lived and breathed it really. And, um, and then around like when I was like 14, 15, um, that was like, I remember, so I was really into, I was into street skating, but I was also into competing like park on the circuit. And then I remember like that dwindled down to like one event a year and which was like you know very little um very little competing and so i just remember like i don't know it kind of coincided with like my later high school years where like my social life was developing and i just remember like skating becoming kind of less and less part of my life um support from sponsors and yeah i, I don't know i, I hate to I, I, like I don't know, looking back, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was just some kind of like natural evolution into more of like my high school social life and and still rollerblading, still loving it, just not doing it as seriously. And then, so a couple of years of like kind of off of sport and then still involved with Destructure. So they invited me to, because they were a rollerblade and ski shop, they invited me when I was 16 to a ski jam. So like spring event, like, hey, why don't you come out? We'll get you on some skis and you'll try it out. I said, sure, like, let's do this. So I, I went, I skied. And because of my background on skis, you know, just from when I was a little kid, like I could kind of, you know, ski around, not well, like not didn't look good at all, but just good enough. And then like get me in the park and like I could do rails, like I could do little jumps like first day, right? And I was like, wow, like this is this is cool. This is fun. And like kind of reignited my love for 
board for challenge, you know, because like I said, again, like, I don't know, things just kind of dwindled in rollerblading. I was bombed that like there was so little, so many little events out there in the world. And then, so this was like a new challenge, you know, like, wow, like I can, I can go big, I can get air like this. And it just made sense to me, like from rollerblading, everything, like the transitions, like things just clicked. And so it just re-sparked me, you know, and I was like, I think I could be a good skier. Like, I, I don't know, I'm feeling this. And everyone in my family, all my friends were like, because I was like, as soon as that happened, I this like within weeks concocted this plan. Like, I'm going to move out west when I graduate high school. I'm going to give skiing a go. And everyone's like, you're a rollerblader. Like, what are you like? What are you talking about? I'm like, no, no. Like, I, I tried skiing once and I think I could do this. And they're like, and I've always been like a bit of the wild child, right? The dreamer. So people are like, whatever. Okay. And I'm like, just wait and see, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I graduated high school stayed true to my own word to myself moved out there on my own and you know day in day out took my greyhound bus hour bus ride to the mountain and just like skied on my own and like things just like really picked up quickly or I picked it up quickly it's a very long answer but I guess it's like you know I'm condensing it as best I can um and yeah within months you know I was I was signed my international sponsor, Solomon, first international sponsor, which is crazy. And With, then, within, sorry, what what length of time? Months. You know, I moved in January. I competed in my first event in March, and I won. And then June, I think they signed me. I know it's crazy, crazy timing. But like I said, I don't know. I picked it up quickly. It was, I guess, meant to be or something. You know. Um, yeah. So yeah, it took me about six months to to make it to pro level, which is crazy. But I, it's. It's really all for rollerblading, you know. I I owe it all to rollerblading. <laughs> I know. Were the, were the other were the other women at these events being like being like who the hell is the, who the hell's the new girl? <laughs> and why I mean, is she, yeah, why like, is she I, beating I us? So. <laughs> I think so. I think yeah, I was the new kid on the scene, and definitely like you know, many people hadn't heard of me because I was so new, and it all happened so fast. Um, and I was kind of known as like the rollerblader on the scene, you know, at the, from the, from the get-go and still to this day, like, like, Oh yeah, the rollerblader. Like, yes, that's right. <laughs> so it stayed with me. Right. Also, that is, that is some serious dedication where you're just like, so you weren't, you weren't even skiing with anyone. You were going up onto the mountain and just, just learning those skills on your own. Yeah, crazy looking. Yeah, Lone Ranger. You know, I moved. The deal was I could live, I could go, go out there. I was 17 because we actually graduate a year before, like grade 11, not 12, I think, um, at least in North America. Grade we're, 12 we're, is yeah, the standard. We're, we're pretty much the same here. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so 17, like very young, you know, and my mom was like, okay, you can move out there, um, but you have to live with, you know, my, my, my good friend Teresa who lived an hour away from Whistler Mountain so I was like that's why I had to kind of haul my ass back and forth every day on the Greyhound bus um but yeah like so dedicated just on a mission you know so um Destructor had hooked me up with some skis two pairs of skis and um yeah I just went out there bought myself I worked for at Subway saved up like a few thousand dollars and and um and went out there and just yeah I, I met some people you know two or three months in but but I was on a mission on a solo mission um day in day out just shredding and just like 
fueled by like the progression I was gaining on a daily, like, wow, like I just did a cab seven, like switch, switch, sorry. So in skiing, switch is backwards. Backwards, yep, yep, yep. Unnatural, you know? Um, Anyway, I was like doing like cab sevens, like, wow. Like, anyway, so just like totally just like so fueled on the daily on like what I was able to do that. Yeah, on my own, just shredding, having a blast. As someone who only learned how to ski like two years ago after COVID, I can't even imagine the prospect of doing a fake 720 on skis. Skis are so heavy. It is unbelievable. It's different. <laughs> Compared it's different. to skates, it's you're different. like, wow, yeah. I can barely lift but you my know, foot off the... <laughs> I get it. But you know, skiing, I, I, I mean, snow sports, I find... I find it, it's so... I mean, any sport is easier when you, when you start young, but it's, I think, learning as an adult is quite a lot uh, it's a lot more difficult to to pull off snowboarding and skiing um so i was really lucky that my parents taught me at a young age you know i didn't carry it through my teens but i i had that base and i think that was really crucial also um to my success yeah well, like muscle memory is so. going to kick in even if you didn't do it for many years like you're going to when you do it again, you're going to remember the feeling of it you're going to like even if you're rusty at first like there's going to be elements of it that you're like Oh, like I remember what where to put or like where to like put my weight or my foot or whatever. Yeah. Um yeah. So so within months you're winning competitions and getting sponsored by one of the biggest brands in snow sports. The the amount of jealousy that must have been around other athletes, I can only imagine. Um you know, something like, cool. <laughs> she's right. She's she's just gonna take off and be amazing at this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, w- at what point did it start being like major competitions? Because I'm, I'm assuming the first competition was just a, like a local event or whatever. Unless, are, yeah. are, you, are you just entering national events straight away and just cleaning up? Kind of. Um, so, the first event was actually it was called the Vermont Open. So it was in. So it was an open event, so amateur, and but it was like nationwide, like anybody could enter, and it was pretty stacked field. I think thing from what I remember um but it wasn't like x games level you know yeah. that's like you need and that was invite only at the time I think it maybe still is um so it was you know like mid-level let's say and then unfortunately like the first two years of my career were I was down and out um so Solomon signed me in June or July my first event competing as a professional here we enter like two of the roughest years of my life. But basically I was at an event in San Francisco. Um, I kind of became infamous for this, you know, or my crash was infamous. Anyway, it was, you know, a bigger event. So it's one big jump built on scaffolding in the giant stadium in San Francisco. Anyway, long story short, I had a really high impact crash hit so hard that like nothing like, cut into me broke into me but i hit so hard that my pancreas sliced in half over my spine and so i chopped it in half went into emergency surgery was in the icu and all like really almost killed myself first event ever um as a pro skier so i'm dead like i'm done for like i wake up i'm like cooked up on all these machines and shit i'm like what the hell happened anyway i didn't lose consciousness but they had to drug me because i was coughing blood like they knew it was bad right away so i, th- I think i would have i think i would have preferred to lose consciousness 
I, I would have too. I would have too. People are, that's the first thing they ask me is, well, one, did you keep your spleen? Because apparently the pancreas and the spleen have a lot to do with each other. And two, were you conscious? And like, yeah, I remember just, I was fully conscious. I just thought I'd broken my ribs, right? So winded. But then when I started coughing blood, like it was serious, serious stuff. So that took me out for a year. I come back. And at that point, so I was like, I got really big into training and like, like for, I mean, training for, to, to maintain my, my, what's the word? Like my ability, my agility yeah. in sport, but that only came later. So at that point in my life, like, cause you know, in the rollerblade scene, I don't really know how it is now, but like, like we kind of talked about, like, it's more of like a party scene, you know, it wasn't like about going to the gym and working out and being like super fit and strong and doing like exercises for your knees, you know? So here I am, like I have a year off. I'm super sick. Like it took me months, like many months to, to even be back to like, not just like an athlete, but just to be normal, eating normal foods and again and stuff. So pretty rough, rough uh, year for me. Got back, went to New Zealand and then blew my knee like two weeks in, thir 13th day, which is crazy. So blew my knee. That's another full year off. So my first two years as a professional skier, I'm out, um, which is brutal on my psyche, my heart. I was super depressed. Um, and there was, I think, a lot of chatter in the industry, like, oh, she's is she going to make it back? Like, Because it was like a lot of like, I had been signed, but no one really, there was a lot of talk about me, but no one had really seen much because my first pro event, like, I almost killed myself. So, um, all this chatter, like, will she come back? Oh, I don't think she can make it, blah, blah. And like, that just fueled me, you know, like, I love when people tell me I can't do it. Like, that's like from the best fodder. Um, and then of course, internally, like, I just like, I had so much more to do. I had so much more to prove to myself, like, this is just the beginning, you know? So I had two years to like, it was rough. It was hard on my soul, but like also two years to just like build, build, build this like fire. So when I came back, you know, in 210, I think 208 or nine, sorry, I'm like, the dates are a little iffy for me, but I just like came full swing, you know, and like, and then went on a rampage, um, Yes, so, yes, so yes, and that's when after those two years of, of being out, that's like took off. Um, and then I started, yeah, it was like big events from there. Dew Tour was a big event back in the day, it was like full circuit X Games. I think like I got invited my first or second year back, so it all started really quickly after that. During that period, though, were your parents not like, can you just give it a rest? Like, there's there's the there's the rollerblading, which is high impact and painful, and I'm assuming they saw the sections with the slams. And then you obviously start skiing, and they're like, oh, great, skiing, that's that's also not safe. And then you get really badly hurt, and they're like, we're not, you know, we don't we don't really want a deceased child on our hands. That would be that would be great if we didn't. Like they yeah. your parents must have been terrified. I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were, you know, and I now that I'm older and I look back and, and I don't have any kids of my own, but I thought about, you know, in the future possibly and like, and seeing some of my friends with little children, I'm like, gosh, like I, I feel so much for my parents. Like I have a little niece who's four years old and I, I want to introduce her to skiing and rollerblading, but so like, I don't want her to get as hooked as I did, you know, in a way, because I, 
I'm so grateful to my parents for letting, for allowing me to be as free as I was like, you know, such a gift. And I recognize there's a lot of parents out there who wouldn't have allowed those things. Um, I think I'm sure they were pained by it. I know they were. And, and, you know, to this day, like with my, some of my post-concussive stuff, like they're, they feel for me, you know, they're, but they're extremely supportive and I've always been, I think the main, their main thing was just, you know, seeing how much I was invested, how much heart I put into it, how much I loved it. And that's, that's what they wanted for me. You know, they wanted me to follow my, my dreams. And so they allowed it and I'm sure it was painful. Um, yeah. And I, I know it was painful and I know it was hard. They went through a lot with me. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't be here without my parents' support, you know, so I'm just, I'm grateful, but uh, uh, no, they never, of course they like, you know, would maybe prompt, like think about these things and, and really like, are you sure you want to do this? But never pulled me away from it, you know, and, and I'm grateful for that. Really grateful. Yeah. Like the fact that, yeah, they're letting you basically travel to another country as, as like a young teenager. And then you're like, oh, I want to move away and go for the snow sports thing now. And the fact that they're willing to give you that much. Well, A, it says they're awesome because, yeah, they're letting you pursue your dream. But B, the fact it shows that they've got a lot of faith in you to not do anything stupid to like, like they, they obviously trusted your judgment enough to know that you were you were serious and that you weren't going to go out there and just mess about and get yourself into trouble. Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I mean, I know like some, some things you can't control, you know, like I definitely, even though I felt I was doing quote unquote, the smart thing, like I still like broke my pancreas in half, you know, so things happen. Um, but I was like generally a good kid, you know, like, yes, like I, I, you know, I had partied a little bit um, here in Montreal. Like, I don't know, it's kind of a normal thing. Like people start, you know, trying their, their first drinks around 14, 15. Again, I don't recommend it, but it's just like kind of the culture here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kind of similar to European culture. Um, it's, yeah, it's, um, the same. it's no different to the UK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know like Americans will hear this and be like, oh my God, like so loose. But like, it's just, we kind of get it out of our system early and then it's fine, you know? Um, but yeah, like bar some, like, you know, a few nights here and there, like partying with my friends. Like I was a good kid. Like I didn't really do drugs, like, or I didn't do drugs. Like I, I, I made good grades. So like they they trusted me, you know, I wasn't this, like, I was wild in the sense that I had these big grand visions and I wanted to try a lot of, a lot of crazy things. You know, I was an adrenaline hunter, but I wasn't reckless. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't think I made, I don't, I didn't make stupid decisions or hopefully not too often, you know? So yeah, they trusted me, I think. And that's, that's what allowed me to kind of fly, spread my wings and take off. That's awesome. Um, so. Yeah. You come back from this horrendous injury, like people don't really know what to make of you if you're just going to be this person that kind of shows up in the scene, has a lot of promise, but doesn't ever deliver on it. Then you start delivering and then you basically become this like competition phenomenon. Like what, when when all that started kicking off, like what was going through your head? Because when you start just winning event after event after event, that has got to be... <laughs> I have never won an event, so I have no idea what that meant, but it must be like, it must do some crazy things to your thought process or your ego or your, like, you must just be like, this is, is this real life? What is happening? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was like it was it was the dream. You know, it was my dream. It was my. It was, it was exactly where I wanted to be. You know, I I I love to compete. Um, I love, you know, rolling up to you know the start gate or the start line, whatever you know, um, and just and and you know summoning myself and my abilities and like trying to perform when like quote unquote it matters most. You know, I love that challenge. So um, for me, sorry, that coffee wasn't right. For me, it was like it was everything I I had dreamt of. You know, to be to be among, you know, the best and to be challenged in that way. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really where I thrived, you know, and it was really a gift. So, and to be, you know, I, I went through a lot of injuries throughout my career. So I was down and out a lot of the time, but, but when I was able to compete, I mean, I was, there was no place I I'd rather be in the world, you know, and I could honestly, you know, say that to myself. So I felt very grateful to be doing what I was doing. And I think like, because I loved it so much, you know, I, I love the sport, but I also loved competing so much. I think that was, you know, a part of why I was successful um, in the way that I was, you know, I just, it was really my element and that's where I felt best. So um, I guess, yeah, that's part of how I was able to, to do what I did. What was the so obviously like you competed in in rollerblading and then you're competing in skiing like what was what were the two like circuits like were there any comparisons or was it just was it like completely different in terms of I don't know the camaraderie or just like the 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 atmosphere or you know like what it was like I, I feel like competitions might like rollerblading competitions might have been slightly less intense because there was less at stake perhaps but yeah I I. I you would know better than me. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to like stakes or like, you know, this is a smaller event than this, like, I think it's all relative, you know? So like when you're competing, like it's almost like life or death, like even if it's some like regional event or like international, it's like, cause like you want to perform like, everything's on the line, right? Quote unquote, everything's on the line. Like, so I wouldn't say that when I was competing in rollerblading, I thought, oh, this is lesser or anything. Like to me, like when I'm competing, it's like, it's really, it's too intense, you know? Like it's, 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 it, it can get to a point of like, where it's like, okay, like, like back off a little bit. I can be really intense about it, really competitive. But, um, but yeah, so in that sense, like they were pretty similar when I competed. Um, one of my downfalls in rollerblading straight up was just like my cardio. I still to this day have never been a cardio athlete. I hate training cardio. And so like doing like, like, um, you know, park events, like where you're skating for like a minute straight, like just burned me, killed me. It's just like the, the girls were much better at it than I. Um, so in skiing, like that was a great thing to just have a slope, take me down, you know, don't have to push. That's one of the main differences. Um, the camaraderie, I would say, was pretty similar, actually. And that's something I really appreciate about both sports. It's like rollerblading is such a small, intimate crew. And like you can get on a message board and like be like, hey, I'll be in Taipei next week or like wherever. And they'll be like, yeah, crash on my couch. Like, and I love that about rollerblading. I love that it's a really tight, tight knit crew. Um, 
And then I'd say in the first, I'd, I'd say skiing is similar, especially in my first half of my ski career, let's say. So I moved on to skiing and like same, like small, small world, much bigger than rollerblading, but still relatively small. And, um, and that's, that was cool. Like we, it was a group of girls, like from all over the world, you know, um, yeah, US, like Sweden, Norway, Australia, like just, you know, people from all over the world. And we were just a tight knit crew. We would travel the world, room with each other. And, um, and yeah, it was just really, really sweet, like a really cool girl group. Um, later on, things kind of changed because of Olympics. Now the sport's very, very different. It's much more segregated, separated into like national teams. Yeah. And so it's not exactly the same now, but when I started, it, it was similar in terms of camaraderie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, competing to me is competing. Like I'm going to bring it all, you know? So I'd say it was, it was pretty similar. All right. I have very lengthy answers. I apologize. That's, I'm a bit of a talker. Length, you know? Lengthy answers are good answers. Nothing wrong with that. No, because there all was, right. there was a video, I can't know so long ago, but there was a video I watched of you where you were talking about yourself like during your pro career and you referred to yourself as like quite like stoic and serious and quite like i don't know like tough or hard or something and i was wondering if if that was the opinion you had of yourself or is it if that's like the opinion that you thought the community and your like fellow competitors had of you i think that's i'm not exactly sure exactly what you're referring to but for sure i i think it's more the way people viewed me I you know I generally I had a, a, a black mask on most of the time um I didn't like I don't I don't know it was a very private thing for me like competing like it was very internal and I didn't really like to expose that to the world I I, I liked kind of for lack of a better word I liked hiding behind the mask it was like yeah I don't know really had to explain it and I think quite quiet too um especially earlier on in my career and definitely during my rollerblade days like super super shy and i think even in rollerblading i i'd heard that like i i could come off as like, like kind of bitchy or as a bitch just because i was i didn't really talk much um and then it was kind of hurt me because i was like wow i i really i don't want to come across as like arrogant or pompous like i don't like i had a lot of confidence in myself and i think i think to be you know successful or can continuously successful competing like you have to have at least some belief that you have a place there you know and that you can win like or else or else people are gonna win you know you have to believe you can yeah, do that definitely you like make you, it. you first and foremost have to like think I've, i can do this or yeah otherwise... you have to see it right you have to envision it or else it's not going to come to reality and so of course like i had that confidence but i wasn't this like oh i'm, I'm the best and i don't want to talk to anybody because i'm better i just so i think i did come across as as kind of arrogant um and for sure, like, you know, the, the black mass, the quietness probably didn't help much, you know, but that's, that's my process. That's the way I am. Um, and also, yes, very intense in the start gate. So like kind of known, like, don't, don't come, don't approach me in the start gate, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, even like my coaches, you know, I just like, I like my space. I like my zone. Um, 
very nervous too though in the stargate like also just like a complete nutcase like you know so better to stay away from me so yeah kind of scattered you know but i definitely wasn't this like oh i have it all together um if people thought of me in that way then it was then that's flawed or that's yeah i, don't know, I guess you could say flawed like that's not the way i was feeling internally like oh yeah i got this and i'm the best in the world and like more like, oh my God, I'm fucking freaking out and I'm glad no one can see it because I'm behind my mask. Like, yeah, that's more, that's, that's, that's more what I process, would assume. You know? I'd assume you're having yeah, this like, yeah. internal battle and you're like, don't fucking talk to me or I'm not going to be able to concentrate and I'm going to eat shit on this run. Like, just leave me alone. Otherwise, my For mind, sure. yeah. For sure, yeah. Oh yeah, like my limbs would be like, I almost going numb. Like, oh, I was so nervous. So, so I'm sure, yeah, that I maybe people, yeah. People maybe saw the quiet as like arrogant, but I was just like out of my mind, nervous. Oh no, it was, it was how you described yourself. It wasn't. I never saw anyone else describe. It. But then yeah. you see, you see people like Sean White as well. Everyone's like, oh, he keeps himself to himself, like during events. And I'm like, yeah, he probably does because he's probably trying to psych himself up to win all these bloody things that he won, or like with Nigel Houston and skateboarding. He's always got the headphones in and just like you can tell he's like, stay away. Like let me totally. Focus. Totally. I want to win this. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's serious. It's serious business. When you're there, you're out there, like, you want to, like, you want to do your best. You want to perform your best. And so, like, everybody has a different process, right? So some people, like, are very chatty. Some people want to be around their friends. And some people, like, really remove themselves and zone in. And I was definitely more more like that. So, yeah, people, people will always have differing opinions on, you know, on your process. And that's that's fine, too what was it like having coaches and like what is what is how does it work with them because obviously like do they are they suggesting tricks or dictating tricks that you should be learning or guiding you on runs like i'm curious to know how hands-on they are or are they just there as like a form of support like how does how does that system work because obviously we don't we don't have that in rollerblading you just yeah you know, yeah go go rogue yeah well so you know it's funny you mentioned that because <clears throat> I definitely like I grew up rollerblading right and so coming into skiing like that's that was always my approach like whatever quote-unquote go rogue right like just like feel the trick can you you know can you visualize it can you feel it like yes okay try it out you know um that was always my process I, I was never coached I was never taught um as a rollerblader or skier and so when you know when skiing was getting into the Olympics. That's when all these national teams are formed, formed around the world, right? Before that, we didn't have teams. Um, and that was about midway through my career. And by then I was lucky to have already had like kind of established myself, had a lot of success um, in terms of competing. And so what was cool about Team Canada, um, I can't speak to other nations um, and other coaches, but at least for me, I remember them sitting, you know, down with every athlete individually and being like, okay, how do you see this working? Like, what's your process? And I was just basically like, and and, and I didn't want to, like, it wasn't meant to be um, unkind or, or not, you know, open or not receptive, but I was just like, I have my process. Like I, I train out of mammoth, which is not in Canada. Um, I have my process. Like I, you know, I know what works. I've already had a lot of success in my career. And like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that I want to be coached. Like I, 
I don't even know how to be coach. I don't know how to, like, I've never had that, you know? And some kids are a lot of people. It's the other way around, right? Like they grew up with coaches and, and they, they don't know how to try a trick without being told. And so that was kind of the array of team Canada. There was me on one end who was like very much, they basically let me do my own thing. They didn't actually require me to go to any training camps. And I went to very little um, because I was on my own program. I just really liked to be the lone wolf um, doing my own thing. And I had the luxury of doing that, which I'm really grateful to team Canada for allowing me. Um, and then you had on the other end of the spectrum, like an athlete who was like, yeah, grew up like basically from the day she started skiing was always coach and like, wouldn't try anything without our coach being like, okay, now you're going to do the seven. Now the nine, like complete different styles of coaching. And that's cool. Like that the coach, there was two coaches on the team and, and they kind of were pretty flexible. So, um, so yeah, there was no like one way for me, they allowed me to do it. And I, I didn't want to be coached. And um, if anything, they like would tell, you know, help me with speeds. Okay. How's jump three? What's the wind? You know, can you walkie talkie or radio, whatever to jump three, tell me what the speed's like. That's the kind of stuff I used, you know, I used their cooking for, but not really for tricks. No. Right. For like, yeah, basically like technical help or like guidance and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause yeah. I was one because the way you describe it with people with a coach, that makes sense because if you start off like getting ski lessons and stuff, you just assume that that's like the way, like the safest way to learn. Like, oh, they won't let me progress to the next stage until they think I'm ready for it. Whereas if you come from an aggressive, uh, an extreme sports background, you have this kind of reckless attitude in your head where you're like, well, I know that my body can do this. And I feel like that's just within reach. And I've never landed this, but I know that if I just like huck myself and like just mm. commit to it, I've got a good chance. Whereas if you've always had coaches, that 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 thought process is not you don't take those unnecessary risks. Totally. That's exactly it. You don't well, and you don't even develop that way of like really thinking. You're just like everything is dictated by somebody else, where it's like for me, that's I mean. I don't want to say it's a nightmare, but like, I just like, I, I, I ultimately trust me, you know, I, I trust myself. I trust my vision, uh, you know? And so not having grown up with someone else telling me how and when to do things, like it was very hard to kind of try to implement that or, or I didn't want to implement that. It just wasn't the way I operated. And, and yeah, I was lucky that they kind of let me roam free, which is a gift. So I watched, where was it this year? Was it Aspen? They did, yep, was, yep. Was it so every year yeah yeah i watched it this year for the first time because i finally started skiing and now like have a vague understanding of some of the terminology but i always wonder how they decide what tricks to do in the run like do you guys study previous events and go oh well that that run won that year or is there like like talk on the circuit of like like new popular tricks or like how do you guys because it seems like when there is an event most of the people, apart from obviously, there's obviously a sliding scale of people that are landing these tricks and people that are just attempting them or people that aren't even attempting the tricks. But how how does it get to the point where they, like, because there's certain tricks that just everyone goes for. Like this year, I noticed everyone was going for like the, the natural and the switch of both to show that they can do it both ways. And it was like yeah. 
big trick, like seven twenties, nine hundreds, or like in the guys ones, they're doing like I don't know, court doubles, not these. Yeah. As soon the spins that I just thirty five hundred. As whatever. soon as it goes past nine hundred, <laughs> my mind just goes flat line. I'm like, nope, don't know what spin that is anymore. Just after like three rotations, my mind clocks I know. out. It's so, tough. like, how how do you, how did you guys decide on the tour? Oh, like, got well, or you even? You're like, right? If I want to win X Games this year my run has to have these tricks in it yeah so i mean it's a good question and it's kind of tough to to answer so there's a baseline so i guess any event these days you know okay any event these days like there's a baseline you know that you have to spin both ways that's a given if you're only spinning one way you're done for so like Spinning left and right is absolutely imperative. Taking off both forward and backwards is imperative. So already there you have like, you only have a set of tricks that will fit into that. You wanna be spinning both onto rails and off of rails. And ideally if you can do it both ways, that's a really, that's a bonus. So that already kind of like, that starts to really craft the tricks. And then, you know, for us like when we tune into one event or another like the tricks kind of seem at random but when you're on tour and you're traveling and because a lot of the time you're not just competing with these people but you're training around them like all summer long like where are we we're all in new zealand or, or australia like the it's it's a big world but at the same time like our sport is small and like the hubs are there's only a few hubs like at different parts of the season right so early season everyone's in colorado like so it's like you you kind of know what everybody's tricks are or you have an idea at least some people yeah. are working on some things in secret right but like you know this athlete okay i know these are her strengths this is probably going to be her run or her ideal run you know and so you kind of get a sense of where you might land with your current tricks and then also get a sense of like what tricks you need to be you know in that podium position um so like, look, if everybody has a double cork 10, you know, like you need a double cork, like, or else you're not going to play. So like, that's where you want to put your efforts. Like, okay, if people have both left and right double corks, like that's what you need to. So you get a pretty good sense of what you need to do by just looking at the field. Um, and then you also, because you train with these people, you get a really good sense of the run that they're going to put together. Um that's also where coaches come into play too. Like they're on, there's one coach using the start gate and one on course. So they can tell you like, oh, this athlete, cause you get like three or four training days before the actual event, right? So, okay, so like Sarah or whoever is doing, you know, this trick on that jump. Okay, and so you kind of get an idea um, and it's not as random as you might think. Like it's, it's quite, uh, it, it narrows it down a lot and you kind of get a strong sense of what you need to do to contend. Oh, oh no, I, at no point did I think it was random. I definitely knew there was a structure to it. I just wondered if it was like in rollerblading because we obviously have trends and like there's like for obvious for a, during your era, it was like the most tricks you can do down a handrail. Like how many, how many switch ups yeah, can yeah. you fit in? Can you spin in? Can you spin out? And now it's gone the other way. And now everyone's like, it can only be one or two tricks maximum and it has to be as clean and as dialed as possible there's no waving arms there's no lifting your foot up when you come you have to lock on perfect you have to land perfect there's no everything has to be laced whereas back in your era right. it was like cram in as much as you can and survive 
totally totally i see what you mean yeah yeah so um so same same in skiing like i i think it's it's gone in waves you know different trends like you said and yeah it's it's constant you know back and forth and kind of yeah back and forth between like progression but but it has to be clean that's something that actually stands and will I think always stand true in competing like at, at the highest level in skiing is like it has to be well done. Like if you put down a hand, it's not you're you're done, you're toast, but like it really hurts you. You know, you really want to be executing your tricks as well as possible. No flailing, no touchdowns, you know, no sit-downs, um, no losing a ski, obviously. Um, so basically, yeah, the rule is kind of like do the best or yeah, do the best that you can or do the hardest tricks you can that you can pull off well, you know, like don't go, I mean, there will still be some kind of rogue athletes who are like, well, pull out this triple cork. Oh my God. But then like, can't do a proper 360, you know? So it has to like, it has to be this kind of complete package, like make it look really good, technical. Yeah. And land it solid. It has to be solid. No reverts, nothing like that. Like those kinds of things are just unacceptable in skiing. Oh, like like switching, oh, so switching background from a stance after landing off a yeah, stand. Yeah, yeah. So you to, land like, switch, or you land, yeah, you land backwards. You got to go in backwards into that next feature. There's no reverts. That's pretty. That's funny. like that's a right. that's a golden rule. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It's different. Okay. So there was an adjustment, you know, going into skiing, but that's yeah, because there was a there was a movement for a while in rollerblading where it was like stay fakey. If you come off a a trick fakey, you need to ride out the fakey. You can't just like come back round to forward straight away otherwise right. yeah yeah it's not as legit right yeah yeah got you okay so but you say that but then you obviously landed a trick that no one else had done when it was like what was it the right i'm trying to it was a switch so that's a that's a right and in, in my language that's a fakey 1080 yes exactly like yeah. fakey 1080 yeah and you you were the first one to do it in competition in like what was it like 2010 or 11 or something like that yeah two 212 i think 12 i'm yeah. getting there earlier than you so like and i touched a hand yeah but i feel like when you're pushing the boundaries of the sport there's certain things that you get away with because it's like you're pushing the envelope so if you're the first one to do it it doesn't have to be flawless because you're setting a new benchmark yes yes exactly yeah so it's this kind of yeah kind of finding that line between like progression and then yeah it, it, there there is an allowance a small allowance for like you know it not being executed perfectly but yes you've just like set a new precedent basically you've like pushed the limits and now there's like this is the new standard you know and so for sure like you know a, most of the time or a lot of the time when people are performing and landing a trick for the first time it's not flawless and so judges recognize that um i guess like where like if I had put a hand down on like a standard trick, forget it like that, that would probably take me off the podium, but because it was like a never be done before trick, like a hand down was okay. Um, so yeah, it's like, I mean, it's discretionary too. Like it's never this perfect science, right. When it's a judged sport, um, there's always controversy. There's always going to be people who are like, who bend one way or the other, you know, like towards like progression and, and you know execution right and it's just always this like back and forth back and forth but i guess yeah it's just about trying to keep that balance and trying to keep consistent with with the judging 
which I've, I've heard is very, very tough, you know? And so if I ever judge, like I, I know it's not easy, um, but yeah. I can just imagine like the other women that year being like, oh great, 900s aren't enough now. Brilliant. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah, right. They're like, cool, yeah, I, need to, I, need to go back, I need to go back to the trampoline and learn, learn an additional 180 and then I need to get the skis on. I need to learn on that as well. <sighs> yeah no i mean it's 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 tough it can be tough but it's also like gives you that motivation you know like damn like she just landed like switch double 12 like okay like i gotta get to work now you know it's it's good it's good motivation also fodder like in addition to winning all these medals you know that you pushed the sport because you literally introduced that to competition like that 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 wasn't landed in competition before you came along <laughs> and how long like I, I can never keep up with the spins even though i watched the event like how long was it until someone else landed it like some an, another woman landed it has another woman landed it in competition yeah 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 for sure yeah. now it's a pretty i wouldn't i don't know if it's standard but it's like pretty there's quite a few women who can do it now um i don't think it was very long maybe months even i think she was okay. i think katie summerhays a, a, uh I, I, UK athlete, British athlete. Um, I don't know if you've heard her name, but and that uh, name does sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think she did it that year. Even I mean, it's crazy. Like it's like the the what is it? The four four minute mile or whatever it's called. It's not a four minute mile, but you know I, what I mean. I like someone mean, does yeah. it. You know, I'm totally botching that. I'm so sorry. Yeah, like matters, everyone's but, uh, like, that's that's not possible. And then someone does it, and then all of a sudden, it starts trickling in, and just more and more people start doing it. Which because, is which yeah. is crazy. Which is like has actually always captivated me and fascinated me, and and something I've wanted to you know move into post my ski career is like getting into sports psychology because like that's that's crazy. Like all of a sudden, someone does it and something that's like been thought of as impossible is like all of a sudden not a piece of cake, but like tons of people can start doing it. It's like, it's, I mean, if that's not proof of like how mental this stuff is, is like, then what is, you know, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. So, um, so yeah, it's almost like you unlock the door, you know, and all of a sudden people, people can enter and, and now people are doing switch tens or, um, fakie tens. Yeah all over the yeah. place so you're riding for salomon i'm assuming you were sponsored by red bull at this point you're winning all these events obviously like winter x games and stuff like that is a lot more lucrative than winning like rollerblading competitions mm -hmm. i'm 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 willing i'm assuming you were living well off this or able to like fully support yourself just from doing that there's no longer working in subway yeah yeah so um yeah it took a, a few years to kind of like work my way into some pretty solid contracts you know especially because of those first two years um were you know they exercise their uh injury clauses um in the contracts <laughs> but um, uh, i mean you you gave them good reason to <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so um no like i i for sure. I, I had some great support. I think I, the timing, I was lucky with timing, you know, at the beginning when I entered into skiing, like it was still, the sport had a lot, like, I think the sport had a good amount of support, you know, endemic sponsors. Um, and then like out of, 
out of industry, I guess, if you will, like, like Red Bull energy drinks like that, those were starting to come in industry, which like that, there was a lot of money behind them. Um, and then of course, like with the Olympic stuff, like that, that brought a lot of hype into the sport. And I think a lot of money. Um, and so I was kind of there at a, at a good time. Like I was, there was still kind of relatively few amount of girls on the scene, at least at that level. And so when there was, you know, a spot on the team for a woman, like it was only usually one spot, but it was like on the international team, you know? And so it was like, there was a budget for the team. And, and, and yeah, I think I was just, it was a product of, of the timing for me. Um, so yeah, I was, I was lucky that, you know, that I was well supported. I had some really solid sponsors, you know, at the height of my at, at my prime, you know, I had like Nike, Oakley, Red Bull, Solomon, you know, head after Solomon. Um, so yeah, some really, really solid and, and yeah, big, big brands, you know, that had big budgets behind them. So, so I was lucky. I was really lucky to be able to save some money and, and, you know, post like really where, where it's really come in handy is like after my post-concussive stuff or my concussion, like I just, life was pretty gnarly for a few years. Um, and I was really lucky to have some financial support padding for my career. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was that, really that's lucky. what I was going to ask. I was like, was it, was it like capricious youth where you just frittered it all away? Cause you're like, Oh God, I've got this money now. Or, or the whole time you like, no, I need to put this away cause this isn't going to last forever. And I need to be smart about this. This, this is, this is a short, like any athlete's life is a, is a, is a brief career. It's so. brief. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'd say I was in between, like I was never that reckless. Like I never, you know, I still have the car that I won 10 years ago at X games. Like, so I, I didn't like buy extravagant cars and shit. I just like, I, for the most part, I put the money away. Um, you know, you recognize it's not forever, like you said. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm also lucky that I had like, you know, smart parents who were like, you know, help guiding me. And, and yeah. I had some, you know, you also run into some, some jackasses who don't steer you the right way when you're young, but, uh, but now for the most part, I had some really good guidance and right. make some good decisions. Yeah. Um, one of the stories, like, obviously this isn't a great memory for you, but one of the stories I loved, it was about, I'm getting, I'm assuming it was the 2014 Winter Olympics when, uh, you, yes, that's you, when I went. Yep. You basically had reconstructive surgery, like months before the event. And shouldn't like, I mean, I don't think from the sounds of things, it didn't sound like people thought you were Cable even it's chopping. Oh, oh, there we go. Hey, I'm sorry. I lost you. And, and I lost you basically right after you said, I think it was in 2014 Olympics. Yeah. So I heard the story of basically you had another, it sounded like you were just plagued with knee injuries. You blew your knee out again, had surgery and it, it's, I'm not. I'm not quite clear on the timeline, but it sounded like you had surgery within months leading up to the Olympics. Somehow managed to get yourself back into like competitive state, which sounds like phenomenal, either will of effort or just like superhuman willingness to train and do rehab. And yeah, like it didn't. It, like obviously, like it didn't go well at the Olympics. But the fact that you were even able to make it there and compete is miraculous what was what was that like yeah oh my gosh oh god i mean the year leading into the olympics was not a great year you know um 
competitively, I had done very well in 213, um, but was struggling internally. And then that summer, you know, I had luckily, Team Canada had this like this clause where you could, if you won world champs or like won a certain event, you could like get clinch your spot, um, grab your spot for the Olympics like in advance. So luckily I had done that. Um, because without that, I wouldn't have been able to go to the Olympics. Um, but then that summer training in Mount hood. So long story short, I'd already been like, yeah, just been in rough shape. And, uh, I, I was just weak and I blew my knee out. I'm like pretty standard trick. And, and, and so kind of the golden rule or the golden timing, um, that's known for ACL. Uh, so ACL reconstruction, ACL is like that main ligament in the knee. When you blow your knee out, it's usually the ACL you're blowing out. Anyway, the, the, the general rule is like six months, six months before you post-surgery before you can like start to just ski cruise, right? Not jump, but just like get back on skis. And I blew my knee, you know, the timing is crazy, but literally six months to the day before the Olympics the day we were going to compete. So it was like, how do I get this done? Like, I don't have enough time. There's just physically not enough time for the ligament to, because it takes, the reason these injuries take so long to heal is because there's not much blood flow to the ligament. Um, bones heal much, much faster, but ligaments, like they just take time to set onto the bone. Um, and that's months and months and months. So it was like, it, at first, at first glance, it was like just impossible. The timing was not going to be possible. Um, of course, you don't get surgery that same day either. You need to go, you need to get the MRI, all this shit. So anyway, of course, like I'm on it day one, like, okay, what do I need to do? Go to first, I get my ass back to Canada. Then I go see a doctor who's like, no way this can be done. I won't do it. Um, I won't try the surgery because you won't make it. So, okay, well, I'm not going to go with this doctor because he's not telling me what I want to hear. Um, and well, also like, yeah, next in a way, like if this is possible, I want to try to find, find the person, find the doctor. And so reach out to who, uh, Dr. Litchfield, who, who was at the time and maybe still is the Alpine skiing. So racing doctor, uh, knee doctor, orthopedic surgeon. And he said, okay, look, um, this isn't what I usually do. Um, so traditional grafts are either from a cadaver, from a your anyway, from your hamstring or your patellar tendon. Three place, three different avenues. Um, and then there's like this fourth kind of nobody's really doing it, or only a few people are trying it, but it's really cutting edge. And it's called the Lars ligament. It's a rubber ligament, so it's synthetic. It's not borrowing from another human body. It's like completely synthetic. But those are known to not last long. It's like a rubber band over time. You keep stretching it. It's going to it's gonna yeah. loosen, right? So Dr. Litchfield, what he said is, I don't know if this is going to work. I've never done this before, but I'm going to take a Lars ligament. I'm going to intertwine that with a cadaver. And I'm going to put that in your knee and let's just see how it goes. So I said, okay, well, this is my best shot. Let's go. So he operates. So the idea was that in the short term, because the rubber one, because it doesn't need that blood flow and over time, you just basically nail it to, you know, the top and bottom sections of the leg and it should be ready to go. So the idea was the Lars would carry me into the Olympics and then the cadaver would be like the longevity of the knee, you know, graft in the long term. So was crazy. I mean, 
incredible amount of rehab, just basically lived and breathed at the gym. Um, and yeah, four months post-op, I was skiing again. And then five months post-op, I was competing at X Games and I won, which was crazy. A lot of people, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, it was crazy that I was like able to compete and win at X Games after five months. Yeah, and then at, you, you must have came back and they were like, she's got no chance. It was. I mean, to me, it was like, what the hell? Like, it was just unreal, right? Um, so yeah, five months post-op, I was competing at X, five and a half months to the day I was at the Olympics competing and yeah, that obviously blew up. I mean, I was, it was rough, rough go. I dislocated my shoulder. I think I blew my knee and again, or definitely hindered it because that summer I needed to get surgery again after the Olympics, but uh, that's a story. But yeah, crazy rehab. If anybody has any knee uh, questions, I've had four reconstructions and uh, I'm happy to chat about it. Hit me that's, up. That's what I mean. Like see, when they start stacking up with that and you're just having like, like reconstructive surgery after recon, is that not like, in, in your head were you not like god like how much how much more is my body going to be able to take of this i mean in a way it's it goes both ways you know like you're kind of tapped out but at the same time you've like done it before and it's kind of like oh like the first new surgery was brutal right because you don't know what to expect there's tons of ups and downs the downs are super scary um you know you're you're scared you're you're not going to recover but then once you've done it you're like okay been there done that like yeah it's a long rehab but i know what i'm in for so yeah it cuts both ways like it, it gets tiring but at the same time you you know you know how to handle it you know okay and then you were obviously you you managed to get back and we're in like training for the next olympics but then it, it seemed like that's when you started having the reoccurring was it I, I, I don't I, I don't want to put words in your mouth and get it wrong, but I'm assuming like you said, like crippling headaches or like uh, chronic headaches. Yeah, chronic headaches. So they actually started like really early on, um, but just I, like daily chronic, nonstop. You know, every hour of every day. Um, but I just like I fought through. I pu pushed through, and I, you know, Red Bull actually was one of my was was the main supporter uh throughout that whole journey like was sending me to doctors getting scans trying different meds like i was actively searching for um a solution um but also like was still extremely motivated stubborn you know too stubborn probably uh looking back and and you know i just persevered i just pushed through like i just i just pushed and i was able to kind of pull that off for a few years um and then because I, I thought going into Russia into 2014, like I was already, like I said, 213 was a rough year and I had a lot to do with those headaches. And I thought I'm done after 214, like I'm retiring, I can't do this anymore. And I think because it didn't go well, it didn't go the way I had hoped and planned. You know, I had this like nagging feeling inside of me, like I want to go back, I want to correct this, like I need to correct this, you know, and um looking back i don't think that was a smart decision uh but i did i took about a year off and then i went back to training even though i was struggling hardcore um so yeah those years back you know after those the olympics were never the same like i could never my output was maybe you know, 200 like I, I couldn't have tried harder but the results that you know what was actually what i was able to do was just not uh I just was never able to kind of get my my way back um 
the struggle was just real and ever present and constant. And so, yeah, I really wanted to go to the next Olympics in 218 in Korea. And I just, I petered out, I, you know, 217. I just thought I, I'm, I can't, I'm killing myself. I really, and, and I, you know, those years I, I had some pretty suicidal years, you know, from constant pain. So I just, in a way was literally killing myself. And I thought I, I can't do this to myself anymore. Um, yeah, and ultimately just decided to to pull out. Um, I didn't make it, but I tried. I really tried, and and that's that, it. Yeah, that is what I wondered. I I did always think if if you had placed or won at the Olympics in two thousand fourteen, could like would you have laid it to rest? And I, I feel I went, I did always wonder is that why you kept pushing it and pushing through all this pain and these injuries and like like serious like injuries that like most people would not try and push through you were like you're like no i'm i'm not having it i'm like i'm i'm, I'm going to prove my body can do this yeah yeah i mean you know it's hard to say what would have been but i i think sure you know like i'd had i'd had a great career you know i'd won the x games which was a big goal of mine i had several medals from from that event and and, you know, I just wanted to go to the Olympics and I, I knew I had the ability, the capacity to, to podium there. Um, of course, I would have loved a medal. Um, I don't know if for sure if I would have retired because it's, you know, when you're competing for your whole life and, and you know, yeah, you've done sport and you've identified with the sport your whole life, like your your identity is married to to the sport, to what you're doing, you know, and so that that separation would have been complex uh at any point um i do think probably i would have slowed down but i don't i can't say for sure but i do know because i didn't uh perform at you know how i wanted to in sochi in russia um that is a big reason why i i went back it was you know probably ego driven um at least in large part was just like no like i want to end on my note on a high note i want like and and that was yeah probably flawed you know I, I i wish i had done it differently to be honest because i i still to this day pay a heavy price you know and and yeah 217 three years later two and a half years later after coming back i was just like look i can do the shoulder i've dislocated my shoulder by now 40 times probably i can do the knee reconstructions even the pancreatic thing but like my head is where i must draw the line you yeah. know and and um, I wish I'd done it sooner, but that's life, you know, everything's crystal clear in hindsight. So yeah, you live and learn, you know, but uh, but yeah, I think in sport, we we push ourselves, especially in freestyle, you know, you, you're like, that's what you're there to do, push the limits, right? Yeah. Push, push the human capacity. And so it's kind of, it's difficult to draw that line, you know, um, but it was time. Uh I think it shows incredible strength of character as well to be like willing to try and overcome something like that. Like it's, yeah, I, th I think it definitely says a lot about your personality, but I did always wonder like if they'd ever got to the root cause of why you were experiencing them, do, do they think it was from falls or do they think it was like some form of repetitive strain injury or like did, did, did they, did you ever get any answers for that? You know, unfortunately, and, and what was like, yeah, one of the hardest aspects of the whole journey was like, not really, like we never had a clear 
it wasn't like I had a major concussion and the next day I was fucked. And then from then on was just done for. It was really a cumulative thing. And the general consensus by now is just like, yeah, repeated trauma, repeated whiplash, you know, head knocks. And then also like now, like so much more research is coming out about concussions. And we're finding that like, you don't even necessarily need to hit your head to experience concussion you can actually just have heavy heavy impact hard impact on your feet can travel up your spine and that can like jar your brain you know and so it's like looking back like how many jumps you know thousands of jumps by now heavy heavy impacts the amount of times i've like you know landed and and hit my my knees have hit my jaw like you know and i only started wearing a mouth guard later on in my career you know helmets i only started wearing into skiing like looking at all my old rollerblade stuff like insanity no helmet you know so it's like the general consensus is just like cumulative concussive um effects and um you know because I present a lot of the same symptoms as, you know, con concussion, you know, um, but unfortunately that area is still, I don't know, kind of obscure. Like we still don't really understand too much. We're understanding more, but like what works for one athlete or one person won't work for the other. Um, you know, someone will hit their head in one way and it'll affect them completely differently than someone else. So it's been a very frustrating journey. Um, just because it's been confusing, but yeah, it's, con it's concussive. It's, it's definitely concussion related. Has it, has it improved over the years or is it something you still just deal with and are, are like, are there still symptoms, but they're not as severe? Like what is, what is it like, like these days? Um, only in this last, uh, I'd say 10 months since I started with this new neuro team where we really do, we focus on, um, like a lot of eye tracking movements, exercises, kind of re like retraining the patterns in the brain, re creating new tracks, kind of trying to get rid of the old tracks. Because when you're in chronic pain, like the injury, um, that may have caused that pain is could can no longer exist. It doesn't even need to exist in the body anymore. It's your brain is looping the same thing because that's what it knows. It's kind of like, you know, when we're driving, like you can like, 10 minutes later, you're like parking at home. You're like, wow, I didn't even realize like I was drunk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that's what the brain is constantly doing. And then to retrain it, you have to actively choose other paths. Right. And so we're, you know, concussion will affect your vision a lot. A lot of my problem was with my eyes, pain in my eyes constantly, you know, so it's like, okay, we need to like retrain the eyes. You know, I was just like, basically the way I was like interpreting the world world, my brain like couldn't process. And I think that's the output was just pain, pain. There's something wrong. Like the signal is like your brain's not processing. Right. And I'm alerting you. And that my alert is pain. And so I had that for about nine, over nine years, of basically no improvement. And I've tried, you know, everything i mean not everything but everything That's, you, know, you, all you diet, strike me as the meds, type of person like, that yeah you're like oh god yeah i'm, like, I'm gonna i'm get going to find a solution i'm gonna yeah. try i'm gonna visit every doctor i'm gonna call everyone i'm gonna like yeah totally totally oh my god i threw myself at it you know and i had i mean the most incredible resources right through you know red bull nike uh, like team canada like you can't you you know access to some incredible professionals and just couldn't find the solution, which was in, which was one of the hardest parts for me was just like, 
when you lose hope, when you lose like that, that sense of like, they, you know, we're so many years in and no one knows, like, this is, this might be the end, you know? Um, so, so really only in this last year, have I found this team started to feel some gains. And so I'm like, just slowly kind of getting my life back now, um, which is like how, why I'm resurfacing. Um, so yeah, I, I can't understate how I can't overstate. I can't understate. Anyway, I'm getting a little loopy oh, at this yeah, point. Yeah, but, you know, you get it. Like I can't yeah, stress yeah, yeah. enough how important this past yeah. year has been. Um, thank God for that, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm, I have a long way to go. I'm still in pain every day, but I am not, it's not as dire, you know, and I think that I, I have hope. So that's, that's, that's everything really. That's everything. I'm assuming considering how driven you are and how focused now you, you're like, yeah, like you're, you're a person that like looks for solutions to every problem in any aspect of life. I'm, I'm assuming you've like found a community of people who have also like suffered with these issues. Have you ever met anyone else in the extreme sports or like in snow sports or even anyone you know that's suffered from a similar condition or like yeah yeah for sure you do develop a community um and you know it's it's something that's not really talked about much right because it's like it's not very glamorous like you know it's you're not doing all this cool stuff that you used to be doing you know so people don't really talk about it all that much you know um but you do uh yeah you you meet the people that have that have gone through their struggles and um and I'm in touch with with some pretty high level very high level athletes I don't want to talk you know mention their names but yeah. because they're not super public about it kind of as I, same as me like I I talk about it here and there but I don't I don't know it's it's it just it's personal it's a difficult journey and it's a very personal journey um but yeah I would say that there are a lot more people out there struggling with this than than we know you know um, a hell of a lot more. And, and now as I get stronger, um, it's always been, you know, a big, a big goal of mine or big, like something really strong in my heart is, is the idea of, of getting this story out there and advocating for athletes and the safety, uh, of athletes. Um, and now as I get strong, I, I used to not feel strong enough to, to take on the fight. I think it's going to be a bit of a controversial thing, probably, um, but now that I'm like starting to like feel life again and feel stronger, I, I will get involved because this is something that, uh, that's obviously affected my life. I feel very strongly about, and I think we need to protect our athletes more than, than I was protected, to be honest. Definitely. Yeah. It's actually, I, I think came up in the UK, not too well in the last few years where they've actually banned in kids sports they've banned um kids from being able to head the football and like football matches like for under 18s because yes there's there's done a lot of research and it's linked that it can cause like long-standing yeah brain like mild brain injuries that can obviously develop and get worse over time and because their like bodies aren't fully developed and things like that so i feel like we are becoming more and more aware of it but yeah in extreme sports because extreme sports is so new in relation to the other sports like you've got boxing and stuff like that where they've got like these medical professionals on like always like checking their brains to make sure there's no swelling or you know whatever but because extreme sports is like such a kind of it's not existed that long that we don't really have that network there so it's like it's like all this stuff could be happening that we just have no understanding of yet 
Yeah. For sure, for sure. It's 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 a growing field still, you know. I think there's still so much to learn. Um definitely in my career I saw I mean, look, at the beginning there was nothing. No team, no doctors, no nothing. They're just we're, you know, rogue really out there just doing our thing. Then of course when when Olympics is introduced, we have national teams, so then you have doctors, but even then, like, you know. I, I, you know, I begged, I begged the team for help. I told them I was suicidal, like it was problematic. And that, and I, I needed more help than I got, you know? So I, I think that we still have a long way to go, basically, you know, we still have a long way to go, but it's, it's good that people are waking up to these things because yeah, we're, we're seeing, you know, you know, NFL athletes, football athletes, American football athletes who are, you know, killing themselves at 40, 50 years old. And then you see their brains and they're like completely fucked up. Right. Because of their, their trauma from their, from their career. So it's, it's, it sucks because it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the less glamorous aspect of the sport, you know, it's, it's, it's not fun to talk about, but it's the reality, you know, and I think we need to protect each other, protect our athletes better than we have in the past. And I think we're getting better at it. Definitely. Um, So you retired in 2017. What doesn't that what what does an adrenaline junkie do when you can't get that fix anymore? What like obviously you you mentioned that you had been sensible with your money and you had like a relative safety net, but that was six years ago. Like what what what's what's your life been like for the past six years? Yeah, well, um the first step is you lose your mind a little bit. Um I definitely I mean, part of what was, I mean, look, I think anytime an athlete retires, like going into quote unquote normal life, like you're never, I don't know that you'll ever feel that like same adrenaline as you do in the start gate, you know, and that's an adjustment for anybody. Um, And then I think on top of that, for me, what was difficult was like, because of my, my head trauma um, and the reactivity of my head, like I couldn't, I basically had to drop all activities, like other than walking um I tried like I tried a lot of things slacklining I got really into and just rollerblading on the street all those all those things like were extremely aggravating to my head so um I really had to be like I was very sedentary and that was super hard on me um definitely went through a couple years of major depression for it um and then I started to, I used to be a very crafty person, like love art. And so I, I started to get really get back into art. And that was a big part of my transition and my healing um, was just, you know, finding, because like, you know, part of being in sport and, 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 you know, being in flow is like being in the moment, you know, like really like you're, you're one with the moment, like nothing else exists. And so like, I could kind of, I mean, completely different experience, like not adrenaline based, but I could kind of find that flow and I would get into my art. Um, so that was a big help for me. I also, um, I had a really hard time with school, but I I, I tried a lot. I, I love going to school. I love learning. Um, I find that, you know, it gives me a lot of yeah, it gives it it fuels me a lot and it it fills me up a lot to learn. Um, and so although I had to, I, I don't know, I dropped out a lot of times because of my head, um, but I kept going back, I kept trying. Um, so that partly kept me sane as well. Um, 
yeah, it's art, art and education is how, and then also like social community, you know, that's, that's how you get through, but it's hard. It's, it's tough. Oh God. Yeah. I can't even begin to imagine, especially dealing with just that regular level of intense pain. Like I've, yeah, I've, I've had the injuries, but like you said, a broken, broken bones, broken bones heal fairly quickly. And yes, mm. it's, it's traumatic for a short time, but when, when it's long, when it's long standing, and you know, you start to worry, is this, is this just my normal state now? Is this what I'm left with? That's 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 a scary prospect. So yeah, I that's, can imagine. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot to take on. So what do what do you do with yourself these days? What's what's because obviously you've since that time we've had a pandemic, we've had lockdowns, we've had all this other stuff going on. That yeah, like what's what what's your day to day life like these days? Yeah. So during the pandemic, when it struck, I left California. I was so when I retired, I stayed in in Santa Monica. Um, but when the pandemic struck, uh, you know, my parents are getting older, and I just thought, you know, now's the time to come home. Um, and I actually really needed that support um, because of my health issues. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm heading home. So I've established myself back in the city. Like, and this is I, I left this place when I was 17. You know, for skiing. So um, I haven't really experienced it in my adult life. So I'm like, you know, getting to know Montreal again. Um, I started a little like kind of floral art furniture business. Um, so I have my little studio here in my home, which I love. And that's like my little pet project. Um, I took time off school um, just because my like fifth deferral like kind of broke my heart. And I was just like, I'm only going back when I start to feel better. I'm starting to feel better. So I've applied to school. We'll see how that goes. Um, and I've also, you know, like we talked about, got getting back into some, you know, commentating involved with the CBC. This fall, I might do some uh, judging. So um, yeah, like things are definitely keeping me busy. Uh, yeah, between the art, the school, the CBC, just kind of getting back. I feel like a lot of possibilities are emerging now that I'm resurfacing. So um, this is just the beginning. That's I think, awesome. Which is That's exciting. Awesome. Nice. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So what, what are you, what are you going to study if you go back? What, what, what interests you? So psychology, sports psych or right. performance psych more general um, is what fascinates me. I, I started working with a really brilliant sports psychologist, Mike Gervais, um, in Cali, like in 210 or 211. And so I love, and I loved our work. Like I absolutely loved what we were doing. It was not just sports-based, but really like individual-based, you know, who you are. Um, you know, he had a, some training in Buddhism. And so it's like really kind of unique. Um, yeah, he had a unique take on psychology and performance. And I really loved our work. And um, he was one of my big inspirations. And I would I would love to go back and and study performance, you know, when, when, you know, I'm just fascinated by the mind and, and, you know, when things are on the line, you know, how, how do we show up and, and how do we also inspire, like just the kids, like, I'm really interested in like, you know, people at a really young age, like, and, and the question of why was I able to do what I did and, you know, versus other kids who didn't, you know, i like, those things really fascinate me. So, I I will be studying psychology, trying to plus, find the answers. Yeah. Plus, you have a unique perspective on it, and I imagine you could write 
a wildly insightful thesis just on your <laughs> own experiences <laughs> about yeah how you overcame like mental barriers to yeah achieve the things that you did and and obviously afterwards to basically overcome such adversity with yeah head injuries and things like that yeah that's I, that, yeah I, I could see you being very good at that <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I that's that's the way I kind of see it is like I, I've had the experience, like I've lived the experience. And now I kind of want to back that up with the theoretical knowledge and then pair that. And I think that's a, a really a great pairing, a strong, strong pairing. OK, I've taken up a phenomenal amount of your afternoon. I've just realized we've been doing this for like two hours. So I'll apologize for interrogating you relentlessly for that entire period. Um, what an I, interrogation no uh, <laughs> not at all it was a pleasure it's really cool I, I love talking about this stuff I mean all I've been talking about is myself I'm not such a narcissist that's, that's the whole point I of just, an interview if you can't talk about yourself so. in an interview you know when can you so I guess so yeah um I've loved this I've yeah I've wanted to speak to you for years like every, yeah as, as soon as you started making a name for yourself in snow sports I was like that is that is riveting that you can transfer one experience to something else and become so successful in it um, and then all the other stuff so yeah thank you very much for taking the time to do this today it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you i uh, really appreciate you reaching out and again i'm sorry for the lack of communication but i'm i'm glad we made it happen uh it's really important um yeah i look forward to keeping in touch let's definitely keep in touch um do you travel around to events? Do you ever come just, to North America? Just got back from Winter Clash. I don't know if you know that event. Yeah, uh, it was in Eindhoven. I like hosted uh, panels there and like interviews Sick. and uh, did a premiere for CG Wellsmore's a documentary that's coming out oh. soon. Um, and yeah, the the hope is to get over to California at some point for. Have you heard of Bleeding Cup that they do in Santa I might Anna? go. I might that's, go. That's not the spring one because that's far too soon, but hopefully the one maybe maybe in later fall. in the year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Awesome. Well then I hope to meet you in person. <laughs> you too. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other thing I want to give a shout out to our rollerblade shop, Solo Inline, here in Montreal. You asked what I might be doing. I'm gonna be working at the shop this spring. So okay. all the Montrealers and Canadians come on by, check out the shop um yeah that's all one other thing i want to say awesome <laughs> well i've taken up loads of your time thank you very much again and yeah it was a pleasure it was a pleasure thanks so much cheers <laughs> bye